Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Do you want to do Patreon this week? Uh, sure. I have it open. So we would like to thank the people who subscribe to our Patreon. They um, subscribed over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, where they get access to early ep- or ad-free episodes, yeah. um, pa- bonus content, a whole other show that we do on Patreon only, Yeah, uh, our after show, a lot of stuff. Someone asked, what do we get on Patreon and our uh, live Spotify live last night? And you get I was a like, lot of you shit. get a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so let's thank these people. We have Jane, Megan, Vicky, Nini, Angie, Angela, Megan, Patrice, Christine, Helene, Emily, Lynn, Allison, Rachel, Olivia, Ashley, Amber, Megan, a lot of Megans, Trish, Louise, Christine, Corinne, Jane. Alex and Laura. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. All right, Desi. This week, we're going to be talking about a Los Angeles institution, the Chateau Marmont. Now, this is an episode that we are only going to scratch the surface of today because we're not going to do a traditional multi-part episode where we we do another Chateau episode next week, but this will be a, a multi-part series that will span like periodically. We'll we'll revisit this because okay. there's, there's just too many stories to tell. Sort of like I was trying to explain it to you in the vein of how we've done multiple Disneyland episodes, multiple Food Network episodes. Look, I get what you're doing. I but some, <laughs> well, what if people don't get what I'm doing? So so if you so just I just won't need to say that up top because I don't want someone to say like, well, you left out this entire. There'll be more. There'll be more stories. There'll be more stories coming down okay. the pike. I'm telling the story of the Chateau Marmont from the the 20s until the end of the 50s. That's what we're doing here today. Okay. That's no, nothing really later. No. So don't even fucking ask for a 60s story. <laughs> don't even fucking. At reply me and being like, why didn't you bring up Lindsay Lohan? That's coming, just not yeah. today. You can, however, bring up any story she forgets from the twenties to the. You 50s. better not. You better not. <laughs> now, my main source for this episode is a book called "The Castle on Sunset" by Sean Levy. It's a great book. Let's let's get into it. The Chateau Marmont has been a Los Angeles institution for decades. The hotel has long been the subject of gossip columns and newspapers for a variety of celebrity-related shenanigans. But most recently, it made the news when a number of celebrities crossed a picket line to attend Jay-Z and Beyonce's post-Oscar bash in March of this year. According to the labor union Unite Here's website, Quote, in March 2020, the famed Chateau Marmont fired virtually its entire workforce. 
Workers who dedicated decades of their lives to the hotel were left without job security or affordable health care in the middle of the pandemic. In response, the Chateau workers successfully organized to help win a path-breaking city law to ensure that hospitality workers can return to their jobs as the crisis subsides without fear of favoritism or discrimination. Many of the hotel workers have since spoken out about abuses they experienced working at the hotel, including disrespect, mistreatment, and a racially stratified workplace. Now, in September of 2020, The Hollywood Reporter published an explosive article detailing the hotel's mistreatment of its staff. Have you read this piece? No. It's wild. I mean, I'm not going to get into all of it here, but it is a very explosive article. This is a quote from it. Employees allege that the Chateau has been a workplace rife with toxic behavior, including neglectful management and unaddressed racial discrimination and sexual misconduct. They contend that the hotel's tagline aimed at its privileged guests, always a safe haven, doesn't extend to those who tend to those guests. There are several complaints of sexual harassment and racial discrimination from former workers. One instance mentioned in the Hollywood Reporter article says, Sonia Molina Sanchez, a Chateau housekeeper for the past decade, tells of an incident six years ago in which a male guest began masturbating while she was cleaning his room. Oh my God. She reported what happened to her manager, hoping the man would be barred from the hotel. However, the guest continued to visit. Louis C.K. I mean, maybe. Because <laughs> it had to be someone powerful, right? <sighs> I mean, obviously, this is like a powerful person. Like, so they gross. Just, so gross. Now, the chateau is currently owned by hotelier Andre Balaz. According to the Hollywood Reporter article, quote, staffers say that for years during Balaz's stay at the chateau, he became heavily intoxicated and openly used illegal drugs in the restaurant and lobby in view of guests. Quote, he'd be out in the garden with friends and they'd be snorting cocaine off their dinner plates, notes one member of the restaurant team. We all saw it. Balaz declined to comment on the matter. While his alleged immoderation affected his employees, resulting in erratic, rageful, and impulsive behavior directed at low-level staff as well as managers, quote, it's like having an alcoholic, drug-addicted father, but it's your CEO. An employee explains, he also hurts himself. Staffers recall repeated instances when Balaz injured himself in falls, resulting on one occasion in a large bruise to his face and on another in an arm being confined to a sling. So this guy is a party animal. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember he's dated a lot of movie stars. He Didn't has. He, he was with Uma Thurman for a while, uh, yeah. I think, and maybe a few others. A lot of famous women. Yeah. Balaz himself has been accused of sexual misconduct multiple times. A former worker accused him of inappropriate touching and groping. He actually assaulted an actress named Amanda Anka. She said that he grabbed her crotch at his London hotel, the Chiltern Firehouse, at the premiere party for Horrible Bosses 2. Her husband is Jason Bateman. And Jason Bateman was among a number of witnesses who saw him grab her crotch. Oh, Jason Bateman responded by spitting his gum in Balaz's face. Whoa. And then they made a statement about it. They're like, he's disgusting. (gasps) So... 
The union organization, Unite Here, they ask the public support in signing a pledge, and their pledge says this, I vow to only return to the Chateau Marmont when the hotel has demonstrated a commitment to respecting its workers' years of service by rehiring them in accordance with their legal rights and to ensuring that all workers, regardless of their race, sex, or background, feel treated with dignity and respect. So although I said up top this episode we were mostly going to be talking about the early days of the Chateau, I felt it's pertinent to to mention what's going on today. Of course. Right now, because this is very recent news. I remember the Jay-Z thing. The, the that Oscars. just happened. Yeah, people were like furious. I mean, it was pretty wild because there were a few celebrities who attended the Oscars bash and they're like, I didn't know, I didn't know. But I don't know how they didn't know because I've seen footage from the outside of the chateau, which is where you enter, and it's like there were like dozens of I mean, I don't know how ma- how many exactly but protesting that night? Yes. Okay. So like, they passed protesters. I could see not knowing and just showing up there. I could but if they're actually passing protesters. It was a literal picket line yeah. that they crossed. So uh and that was like just a f- like a month ago that that, that yeah. happened. So anyway, let's go back a hundred years ago where it all began. It was 1926 when Los Angeles lawyer Fred Horowitz envisioned constructing a castle on a hillside off Sunset in West Hollywood. Horowitz became inspired on a trip to France when he visited Chateau d'Ambois, a castle dating back to the 11th century that had been home to many kings over the years. He envisioned building a similar property, a grand Gothic structure with turrets right here in Los Angeles in a location that at the time was still mostly bare, save for some mansions that dotted the hillside. Further to the west was the newly built Sunset Plaza and a few restaurants, notably the Russian Eagle and La Boheme. Both of these establishments were known to serve illegal liquor during Prohibition. This patch of land on Sunset near Laurel was at the time untapped. During the 1920s, the stretch of Sunset between Laurel and Doheny would become known as the Sunset Strip. It was a hedonistic paradise, offering gambling joints, brothels, and booze in the then unincorporated West Hollywood. Horowitz planned for his chateau to serve as a luxury apartment building, standing seven feet tall and boasting earthquake-proof construction. Seven feet tall? Seven stories tall. It's oh. <laughs> like, that's not that impressive. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, wrote, I even wrote it down here, seven feet tall. So I, I knew what I meant. Yeah. Seven stories tall and boasting an earthquake-proof construction. Erecting the castle would be a big undertaking and require a lot of money, so he enlisted the help of three wealthy acquaintances to help him finance the project. Florence Dean was actually the owner of the plot of land that Horowitz wanted to build on. He offered her a share of the building for her help. He also enlisted socialite Inez Fredericks and fellow lawyer Mabel Willebrandt as investors. Mabel had served under President Harding as Assistant Attorney General, and she was an enforcer of the 18th Amendment. She became derisively known as Deborah of the Dries and Prohibition Portia. It's kind of like the barbecue Becky of the day. Deborah of the Dries. (laughs) We're like, this bitch. Yeah, she's annoying. 
Although Mabel was initially skeptical of Horowitz's plans, she agreed to help with the project. In total, these three girl bosses invested $350,000 towards building the chateau. The following year, Fred Horowitz employed architects Arnold Weitzman and William Douglas Lee to help bring his Gothic castle to life. The plans for the chateau included 43 rooms, a garden with a fountain, a lounge, a communal kitchen, and an underground garage with room for 26 cars. In the spring of 1928, construction began. The building was nearly completed in January of 1929 when Horowitz decided on a name, Chateau Marmont. This was, of course, named after the small street for, on which the castle resided at the intersection of Sunset. And Marmont? It's Sunset and Marmont. It's a very, very tiny street. Yes. It's like a little bullshit street. Uh, yeah, I've driven on it. It's so small that I honestly thought that the hotel came before the street name. Yeah, because it just seems like it's a way to access the hotel. Yeah. Like, that's what it was for. That's, that's what it's named after is that street. Just prior to its official opening, Mabel Willebrandt hosted a party celebrating the appointment of Judge May Leahy to the Municipal Court of Los Angeles. She was the second woman on the L.A. County bench. 300 guests attended. The chateau opened for business in February of 1929. And a newspaper ad for the apartment building said, one to six room... one to six room furnished apartments, including complete 24 hour room service and garage in basement, mm. large rooms and private balconies, distinctively furnished and decorated, view of Mount Baldy, Catalina Island, and the lights of the city from private balconies and patios, finest steel and concrete construction, fire and earthquake proof. Though much of the chateau was extravagant, some potential renters were unimpressed by the furniture that came with the rooms. They noted its relative cheapness compared to the prices they were asked to pay. Like, people would come in and be like, who designed this? Like, who picked out the furniture? It sucks ass. This is from Home Goods. It literally (laughs) was kind of like on that level where it was like, this is basic. I'm not going to pay this much money a month to live here if I'm getting this basic ass furniture. Marriott shit. Yeah, it just wasn't that stylish and like it was just, it was basic. Well, it definitely has a style now. Yes, and we'll get into that evolution for sure. So the most expensive penthouse, which boasted 3,800 square feet, cost $750 a month to rent. In today's money, that's about $12,600. I would love to see some of the rooms. Back then? And just in general now, I've never been to any of the rooms. Yeah, I haven't either. I have like gone there a handful of times in my life to like party or whatever. I've been in that record room, the lounge, I guess, on the lower level. We had lunch there a few years ago. Yeah, that's like where I, whenever I've gone there, I've always gone to that area. Yeah. And I've been on the outside patio too. Like I went there when I was a teenager, like to the bar and stuff and like to have coffee sometimes. But yeah. I haven't, I, now that I think about it, I've never seen any of the rooms inside. I've never even been. No, in, I haven't either. I would like to see I want to see them too. The Chateau was not an instant money-making success. It took a while to fill the rooms. And when the stock market crashed that fall, many of the tenants that they did have had to break their leases. So this is like kind a of a, a shitty time yeah. 
for it to be open. By 1930, investor Mabel Willebrand urged Fred Horowitz to cut his losses and sell the chateau. But Horowitz wasn't ready to give up. Instead, he hired a new operational manager, a hotelier named Bert Ben. It's not Bert, it's Ben Weingart. Ben fired the current manager and hired a woman named Emma Lovell who he would spend long hours with in one of the penthouse suites several mm. times a week. So he Working hired hard. Yeah, he's like I'm I'm going to fire the current manager and hire this hot chick. Um presumably they were fucking as Ben was known as a slut despite him being married with kids. But despite Ben Weingart's efforts, 2 years in, the chateau was still only partially occupied. Fred Horowitz was ready to sell. In October of 1932, the property sold to Albert Smith for $750,000. Smith had plans to turn the chateau into a hotel that offered long-term stays. He's like, this isn't an apartment building. Yeah. It's a hotel. He hired former silent film actress Anne Little as the manager. Billy Wilder would go on to say that Anne, quote, was why the hotel became what it became. Let's take a quick break here. Okay. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. 
Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So Anne Little, who was the new manager of the Chateau, moved into one of the hotel suites with her mother. She then worked to make over the interior design of the building, noting that the furniture was tacky and needed to be replaced. Did you see pictures of the furniture, the early? I didn't, because I didn't look. Okay. Sorry, I was going (laughs) to... Just curious. I didn't even Google that. Usually I'm like Googling pictures all throughout working on an episode, and you know what? I was just so dead set on getting this done, I didn't even do that. Well, because it's not like today... Certain hotels have that very cheap furniture that they all have. Right. I'm just curious what cheap meant back then. Do you know what I mean? Right. uh, It just wasn't, it wasn't good. Beautiful furniture was acquired from luxury estate sales. An eclectic mix of pieces decorated each room. So that became sort of the signature was like, yeah, this furniture is going to be beautiful, but it's also going to be very eclectic. It wasn't mass produced. It was all sort of... Handpicked from estate hand, sales, handpicked antique, nice quality, and no two rooms were alike. Yeah, and that lended to this bohemian, bohemian yeah. artsy aura to the place. Anne also hired a European chef to cater to the guests' whims. There wouldn't be a formal dining room, but there would be a sort of room service. Not only did Anne Little have a flair for design and hospitality, she was also very connected. She attracted fellow film actors and artists who would wind up populating the chateau for many years to come. By the early 30s, the Sunset Strip was home to celebrity hotspot, the nightclub, the Trocadero, as well as Schwab's drugstore, where Lana Turner was famously discovered. Across the street from the chateau was the Garden of Allah, which was a hotel owned by Russian film actress Ala Nazimova that attracted a variety of celebrity clientele and was known for its debauchery. We're going to do a separate episode for her. Oh, that sounds good. And for this hotel, because this was the chateau before the chateau. Okay. Still, at this time, the Chateau Marmont did not yet carry the glamour or the cachet of the other celebrity-frequented hotels of West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Its patrons were wealthy, but they were mostly society folks and not celebrities. So it just wasn't like the celebrity destination yet. But in 1933, Jean Harlow and her husband Harold Rawson moved into the Chateau. The newlyweds were seeking a new place to live after growing tired of living in Jean's Bel Air home with her overbearing mother. The couple occupied two suites at the chateau that connected through a hallway. Jean redecorated with all-white furnishings, as was her style. But, unfortunately for Jean and Harold, they could not escape their mother, or her mother, 
as she was a frequent visitor at the chateau. She's like, uh, oh, well, this is where you're Jean. Jean. <laughs> she, she went by Mother Jean because her name was also Jean. Ugh. I just, those overbearing uh, moms she, are so irritating. She was very, this was an irritating mother. I just mother. picture her as, um, you know, in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the mother of Mary. That's exactly. Yeah. That's who she was, in my opinion. Absolutely. In my imagination. When she's like on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> She's listening in. Sam Wainwright's on the phone. (laughs) Uh, Add that to the constant parade of hairdressers, reporters, photographers, etc. that were there to attend Jean Harlow. This was hardly a private living situation. When Harold Rawson was away, hotel staff noticed a number of male visitors coming and going from Jean's apartment at all hours of the night. In fact... The housekeepers noticed that Jean and her husband rarely slept at the Marmont on the same nights. Hmm. They also noticed that Harold had been sleeping in a Murphy bed in the living room. Oh, shit. So they're like, well, like, even though they weren't spending the night together, it seems like he was sleeping in this Murphy bed. Like, he wouldn't even sleep in her, like, she had the whole bed to herself. That's my bed. You sleep in the Sleep in the Murphy bed (laughs) and put it up in the morning. Yeah. I honestly have an irrational fear of Murphy beds because I always think I'm going to be like goofy where I sleep in it and it go- flies up. Have you ever even had the opportunity? Never. To never. Murphy bed. <laughs> never in my life. I don't even, I don't even, do they even still make those anymore? I feel like they purely existed for gags yeah. in movies and cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Boing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I have a fear of them. Although I do feel like I've seen them a little bit lately now where it's like for your studio, yeah, apartment, (laughs) micro living. Right. In October of that year, Jean was rushed to the hospital for for an acute case of appendicitis. Following her recovery, Jean went back to Bel Air to live with her mother. Her marriage was effectively over. When Harold and Jean moved out of the chateau in January the next year, News of the couple's split put the hotel on the map of celebrity destinations. Because oh. they're like, they moved out of the Chateau Marmont. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but compared to the Garden of Allah, the Chateau Marmont was relatively insulated from gossip. It offered more privacy for celebrities to go buck wild, and that in turn attracted more celebrity clientele. Mm. Harry Cohn was among a handful of studio execs who kept suites on retainer for the stars. Oh. Like, you you want to go act a fool. Here you go. You go stay at the Chateau Marmont. Billy Wilder first stayed at the Chateau in 1934, staying in a small room that he spent a lot of time writing in. Anne Little recalled him working late into the night. When he left for Vienna to try and get his mother to flee, urging her to come with him to Hollywood, unfortunately, she didn't move. Oh. I don't know what happened to the mom, yeah. but I hope she got out. Uh, so he ends up returning to the Chateau later that year, but he was dismayed to learn that there were no rooms available. He told Anne Little at the front desk that he would stay in a bathroom before he stayed anywhere else. Wow. So he did stay in a bathroom. At the chateau. Yeah. He moved into the ladies' room <laughs> in the lobby. I don't know how this worked, but this was like a story he told people for years. He's like, I lived in the ladies' room. I feel like there's more to this story. A hundred percent. Like he might have camped out next to the ladies' yeah. room, but he Or it was like this big huge waiting room that they closed off or something. 
he wasn't even really that famous at this point. Oh. I mean, he wasn't that big. Yeah. He was famous, but he wasn't like... Who he became. Who he became, right? 1934. So he, he says that he stayed in the ladies' room. It was only for a few days. He would go on to tell tales of this unusual temporary living situation, saying it was a small room, but it had six toilets. I don't know how that works out logistically. People coming and going. Like I'm just imagining the women walking in and he's like on his typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind me. Don't. <laughs> uh, in the in I'm sorry. Wilder stays at the chateau would be referenced in his films, notably in 1944's Double Indemnity. In 1937, the chateau upped its level of privacy by building bungalows on the hillside behind the property. The ad that ran in the newspaper read, Charming secluded hillside homes with the complete 24-hour hotel service, which has always been an outstanding feature of Chateau Marmont. By 1942, the chateau came under new ownership. Erwin Brettauer, he was a German banker who also happened to be an anti-fascist. And he purchased the place. Brettauer embraced the hotel as a haven for private debauchery, but also for tolerance that wasn't embraced at more famous hotels. Chateau guest Howard Hughes was not fond of Brettauer's decision to hire black employees or his decision to allow black guests to stay there. Look, Howard Hughes, he sucks. (laughs) He was a... Fucking free. I mean, he did this with Ava Gardner, too. Yeah. Yeah. So Hughes, of course, at this time was known for his odd behavior. He was known for his being a freak while he stayed in their penthouse suite. He ate an insane amount of ice cream. Ooh. I don't think that's that weird, but maybe like it was like really an insane amount. Yeah. I'm going to need to hear the numbers. <laughs> Like I feel like if that was one of the weird things he did, it like it had. That's not to even have, on the, the. That's like not even in the top hundred weird things that he did. I think no, that he did. <laughs> but I mean, if that's like, like it must have been a really like a lot. Yeah. He also shuffled around, looking disheveled. He was always unbathed, unshaven. It's weird how early that stuff happened. Yeah. You kind of always think it happened later, but it was always there. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, they were like, this guy, he's rich, but he's weird. He stinks. He's (laughs) (laughs) He's a real skank. (laughs) He's he's a fucking skank. When the Chateau finally installed a swimming pool, he liked to peer from his window with binoculars to watch the sunbathers down below. (sighs) I would be so upset if I looked up and saw Howard Hughes staring at me through binoculars. And his dirty t-shirt. <laughs> his, I, yeah, I thought you were going to say he, he used it for his bath. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, like he, that's how he bathed. Like he got, He'd go he in the pool. Cannonball. <laughs> Scrubbing. <laughs> the pool was definitely a cruising ground for both queer and straight clientele. Closeted actors could freely congregate at the Chateau's pool without fear of judgment or publicity. Roddy McDowell, the English actor, was a client of Scotty Bowers. Ooh. According to Scotty, Roddy loved doing poppers and fucking men in his suite at the Chateau. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly would like to know the history of poppers because I didn't even know they had them back then. I know. It seems like very uh, 70s, (laughs) 80s. (laughs) 
<laughs> and today. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, yeah, I can't picture it in that. Like, the I, yeah, I would love to know the history of poppers too. Yeah. That's, that's a part of queer history that I feel like needs to be recognized. I've just, I've just always known about it. <laughs> it's always been there. But I'd like to know when it's Or started. like, who was the first person to try it? That's yeah. always an interesting. Who figured it out? Who's like, let's, oh, you know what? <laughs> really loosens things up. <laughs> <laughs> Another man who used Scotty Bauer's services during his stay at the Chateau was Gore Vidal. Is this during the 30s? 40s. Oh, 40s. This is like 40s and 50s. Okay. Anthony Perkins and Tab Hunter, they began their romance at the Chateau pool. Ooh. Even the mere act of a celebrity checking into the Chateau Marmont might mean that their marriage was on the rocks. Like, by this point, they're like... Uh-oh. That's where people go to stay when they're, they need to get out of the house. Yes. Yeah. Desi Arnaz <gasps> frequented the hotel during arguments with his wife, Lucille Ball. When she would discover that he'd been unfaithful, he'd show up at the chateau. Guests at the hotel remembered him getting drunk and acting like a dick. <gasps> there was one instance at the hotel where both Desi and Lucy were together squabbling on a terrace. The fight ended with a briefcase full of cash being flung over the ledge and spilling out onto Sunset Boulevard. Why? I have no <laughs> idea why they What was that played. about? Like there's some drug dealers or something? <laughs> right. I have no clue. Nicholas Ray spent oh. six years living at the Chateau Marmont following the discovery of his wife, Gloria Graham, sleeping with his 13-year-old son. You got to leave the house when that happens. Now, if you'd like to know more about that story, we have covered it. Yeah, that's in the Rebel Without a Cause episodes. I'm pretty sure. Uh, we didn't do an entire episode to Gloria Graham? No, we I did two parts two parts on Rebel Without a Cause. Oh. And not including Natalie Wood. She was right. her own two parts. Right. So that was Gloria Graham, Nicholas Ray, and oh. James Dean and like right. a few other things. Well, I he think. wrote Rebel at the Chateau. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, wow. Look, that's like after this breakup, sometimes you make your best art after you discover your what? wife is fucking your 13-year-old son. It's not, it doesn't justify it, but... But sometimes <laughs> you make your... That's when you make your best work. Uh, wild story. Absolutely wild yeah. story. Okay, so in the 1950s, Rip Torn was a frequent guest at the Chateau. Did he get drunk there? <laughs> I'm sure he did. He was known, however, for going up into the surrounding hills and hunting quail and pigeons. Really? Because he cooked them for dinner. He'd take At the Chateau? At the Chateau. Like, he'd go up in the Hollywood Hills, and he'd shoot quail and pigeon. I didn't even know there was quail in the Hollywood Hills. Isn't pig- pigeon like squab or yeah, something? Yeah, it's squab. <laughs> squab is fancy pigeon. Yeah. Um, so then he would take this, these birds back to his hotel room and have like dinner parties. So he like, did he send them down to the chef and like make something with this? I think he did it himself. Wow. I think, and Miles Davis was one of his dinner guests. I think that's what's sort of interesting about the Chateau is that people who do live there more long-term kind of have the run of the place almost as if it's their personal home. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause, cause like your suites would have a kitchen in it. Ooh, nice. So they could just cook their meals. Like, but you could get the chef to be like, hey, can you like you could or you could get people to be like, bring you a hamburger meat oh, or whatever. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? Yeah, I'm sure like, it was like convenient for shit like that. Yeah. 
Montgomery Clift carried out an affair with actress Libby Holman at the Chateau while he was in the middle of shooting the film Red River. The romance eventually ended, but Clift returned to the Chateau again in 1956 alone following his near-fatal car crash. Clift was driving home after leaving a dinner party in Beverly Hills hosted by his co-star Elizabeth Taylor when he fell asleep at the wheel and crashed head-on into a telephone pole. He was in the hospital for months, suffering from a broken face and sinus injuries. I mean, he, I've I've spent very long amount of time looking at before after pictures of Montgomery Clift. It, he he really did a number on his face. It's really I mean, he's sad. such an interesting story. Maybe we can cover him at some point. We should because uh, he has a very sad. Very very sad story. Uh So this is a really tragic accident that he's in. His face is really messed up. This is a very long recovery process. So he checks into the chateau after he's discharged from the hospital. During the duration of his stay, he hung a do not disturb sign on the door and he told the front desk that no one call him, especially his mother. He spent the next several weeks drinking and taking pills inside a darkened room, shades drawn, even removing the light bulbs. This is not a good situation. He would get so drunk that sometimes he would wander around the halls. One time he banged on the door of another guest hollering, Libby! And that wasn't the worst of it. Because another night he was discovered by a neighbor butt naked on the terrace shouting into the night. Wow. Wow. Like not even a neighbor who lived in the hotel, like a neighbor who lived like on sun, like off of Sunset. Okay, it was like, why is Montgomery Cliff naked? I mean, that's got to be a perk of living in that neighborhood. <laughs> Shelley Winters and her third husband Anthony Franciosa. Oh, we know him. We do. They were frequent guests of the hotel. Before they were married, they stayed at the hotel and fucked a lot, according to Shelley. If there had been an Olympic sex team, Tony would have been the captain. That's why she put up with his bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Tony would eventually move into Shelley's Beverly Hills home after they married. Later, during the filming of Tony's 1957 film, Wild as the Wind, his attractive Italian co-star Anna Magnani was staying at the Chateau. Anna was famous for cooking elaborate Italian meals and filling the hallways with tempting aromas. I bet you she cooked such good Italian food. Yeah. One night, while Shelly was at home cooking her own dinner, she noticed that her husband was running awfully late from the studio. So she called the studio and was like, when's Tony wrapped? And they were like, he left hours ago. Uh Uh-oh. And she knew that he was at the chateau. God damn it. <laughs> so Shelly was furious and she grabbed a statue from the mantel place in their living room, got in the car and drove to the Chateau Marmont. She knew that that's where her husband must be. Shelly marched up to Anna Mag... She got Anna Magnini's suite number or she'd ask where her husband was and yeah. they're like, oh, he's, she's, he's with Anna Magnini yeah. in her suite. So she marches up to this suite burst through the doors, and saw Anna in the arms of her husband. (gasps) Shelly screamed, Putana! That means whore. I'm guessing. (laughs) Then she started waving this statue around and chasing her around the room with it, out into the hallway, threatening to clock her with it. 
I like that she had the foresight to pick up that statue on her way out. Like she's in a red hot rage. But she picks- She like goes out the door and she like stops for a second, goes back and picks up the statue. Yeah, she's like better grab a weapon. Yeah. I mean, that's some that's like some rage insight. You're like, I'm gonna need this. <laughs> Just in case. Um, according to Shelly, her and Anna made it down the stairs, but stopped on the third landing. Both of them started bursting into laughter because they're like, this is fucking stupid. Tony then explained that we were just rehearsing a scene and Shelly believed it. And she was like, okay. And she said, after that incident, Tony came home promptly at 6.15 PM every night. She really had to work hard to keep him in line. Yeah. So it does make sense that uh, he had a good dick game. Right. Because, like, why else would you put up with this? He must have been the He must have been fucking every co-star he had. Right. (laughs) Poor Shelly Winters. Come on. (laughs) She was a brilliant actress. Very. Betty Davis stayed at the Chateau a number of times in the 50s with her then-husband, Gary Merrill. Fellow guests at the hotel recalled hearing the couple screaming at each other all the time. Like whenever they'd be there together, it would just be. You don't want to be on. She Betty had Davis's. very volatile marriages. You don't want to be on her bad <laughs> side. You don't necessarily want to be married to Betty Davis. Look, they couldn't handle her. No one could handle her. <laughs> no one could handle her. Rare, especially her husband's. <laughs> <laughs> oh like my she, god! <laughs> so. But Betty's probably her most memorable incident at the Chateau came in 1958 when she fell asleep in her bungalow with a lit cigarette. That has to have happened hundreds of times in her life. Hundreds. (laughs) There's no way. She's probably almost died that way. Several times. Several. Like, yeah. No one smoked more. No. No. So... So she falls asleep with a lit cigarette. The actor Lou Jacoby, who was staying in the bungalow next to Betty's, saw smoke pouring from her bungalow and was oh like, uh. Should I say something? <laughs> Don't want to piss her off. <laughs> yeah, because like, what if she got mad and yeah. woke her up? So he alerted the staff and the entire hotel had to be evacuated. Damn. That's the other thing I would love to see, those bungalows. Yeah. I have never been. I've never been yeah. at the bungalows. Anyway, that's our early days stories of the Chateau. There are, there are other stories that we'll get to at another point in time. But after so many weeks of murder, we just had to, a little light Hollywood gossip. We had to keep this relatively light. Yeah, absolutely. So that's very interesting. I, I honestly did not know any, anything about the history of this place. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously so famous. And I... I do remember the first time I went, I wasn't a teenager, I was older. So it was kind of like, I had, I just had never been there because if you don't know LA, it's like, it's not a, there's nowhere to park around around there. Like, it's not like an easy place to necessarily go to. Yeah. Like you're going there if you're over there, you can't just park somewhere and walk over. And it's kind of intimidating to enter too, because you have to walk up that weird hill, hill into the sort of where the cars pull in. Yeah. So you don't want to just pop in. You know what I mean? Like the sunset strip is weird. Cause like it is like a lot of shit on the stretch between Laurel and Doheny, but it's not walkable. Yeah. It's like a weird, it's there's like, so much stuff there, but you have to drive between them or something. Anyway, we will eventually tell more stories. Obviously there's plenty of more modern stories to tell. Yeah. 
like from the 2000s as well yeah. as some interesting stuff from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yes. Uh, I bet there is. Yeah. This book is, I like this book. It's I've interesting. seen this book. I don't think I knew exactly what it was. Uh, I've seen the title though, for yeah. sure. Uh, no, I like these kind of books. Yeah. Um, where it's like a hodgepodge of all these different stories, yeah. et cetera. But I definitely want to get a book about the Garden of Allah because like I, I know was, that sounds, I was like, that's where I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Allah? <laughs> well, Allah was named after Allah. I know. I know who it is, but who is she? Like, she seems crazy. She like, was um, this like queer Russian Jewish actress from back in the day. Yeah. And she has a very interesting story as well. And she opened this like hotel that used to be her house, mm. but she turned it into a hotel. Okay. And it was just debauchery 24-7. That sounds fun. Yeah, it sounds really fun. Like there was definitely a lot of gay sex happening there. Okay. So we'll get into that another time. Nice. That's a future episode for sure. Okay. Anyway, so. we're going to do our after show and we'll see you all later this week for the mini episode. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.